came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning. We have a great show for you today. We have former Congressman Peter King, former Governor David Patterson, Zach Williams from Albany, Bruce Mosler, Chairman of Cushman and Wakefield. Is New York coming back? Kathy Weil. Let's start with my friend Michael Stoller talking about the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Minute on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have the Mr. Restaurateur, number one restaurateur in the city and around the country, my good friend Drew Naporin of the Myriad Restaurant Group. Mazel tov, first of all, Thank on you. the sale of Batard. Thank you. Okay, which was your baby. My first restaurant of 1985. So let's talk about this. 1985 to 2023. What's the world like today? and the difficulties of being involved in the restaurant business? Um, it's more complicated today. Uh, obviously, the rents are higher today. But the revenues are higher. Not that, you know, I, I don't know why, but I grew up with the crazy Eddie mentality of uh, keeping the lowest prices that I would charge for wine and food and uh, having the best quality, which was a good formula. I, I, I've been busy, but now I realize, post-COVID especially, when people are going out more, that there's a lot more wealthy people in the world than I realized, and they're not, they're not afraid to spend. I mean— And, and uh, the prices in restaurants have gotten extraordinary. I mean, Okay, so shocking, the, true, the food prices have gone up, and certain times the rent has gone up, but I believe restaurants today are charging more and serving less. That's correct. You know, I always make a joke about Italian restaurants. You used to go to Italian restaurants and say, do you have half portions of pasta? They say, of course. They serve you a half portion. It was half the price. Now, they, you ask that question. Guess what, Mike? No half portions. Uh, but when you want a full portion, they actually charge you the half portion or the menu price times two. So all, all the, the portions are now half, are, are half portions. You know, as I would say with Shelly Fireman over the years, your babies. Let's talk about some of your babies that right. you've grown up with. You know, as we were saying, Batard was Montrachet. Yes. Okay. How old were you when you opened up Montrachet? Well, I, I opened Montrachet April 1985. I was 29 years old. I'm 67 now. Um, 38 years is a long time. I think Phantom of the Opera only went for 35 years. So uh, Andre Soldner cooked at Lutes for only 35 years. So to be there for 38 years is quite an achievement. Tribeca Grill is now 33 years. Nobu. Nobu is going to be 30 next year, if you can imagine that. And there are 54 Nobus around the world. And um, Tribeca so, Grill? 33, 33. 33 years. I mean, my, my restaurants stand the test of time, which is the, the greatest thing. There's just one problem. When I was younger, to achieve the status today, we would have been called an institution. People would have loved us. We'd be like 21 Club, Four Seasons, The Rainbow Room. Guess what? Those restaurants don't exist anymore, and nobody gives a hoot uh, about you being around a long time because the, the market is driven 
There's so many more restaurants now. There's so much more competition. There's so much more ethnic everything. So you really, to be on on your game, you have to be that much better. So which neighborhoods are you, do you feel are the best places for restaurants today? At one time, we used to joke with me on Brooklyn, and you would say, you know, only a chef and his wife could open up that place. Right. I used to go to Hubert's, and that's what it was. But, um, you know, and you have the River Cafe and maybe Lundy's. I mean, there's a handful of places. But, listen, I think any neighborhood where you can afford the rent, uh, you have a fair deal, and you can afford the rent. And you have to have a certain price point because keeping your prices low now, driving a, a greater volume, doesn't necessarily work anymore. Why? Because basically in the restaurant business, we spend money three ways. There's rent, there's food, and labor. Labor is now off the charts. And uh, all the rules about overtime and spread of hours and things like that. So you could have a 50% labor uh, number in a restaurant these days. So how do you keep the labor over there? Do you offer bonus incentives? Do you add perks? Do you encourage feedback? You, you, you do everything, and guess what? It doesn't matter because the, the, the workers are going to go, especially COVID changed a lot. Um, with the mentality of the worker, they've they have the upper they had the upper hand, maybe now maybe a little less so, but like you know, a guy yesterday, you know, because all my staff had I wanted to find them work since my restaurant just closed, and he said, well, I only want to work four days, and you know, the Nobu, I got him a job at Nobu, they want five days. He said, just work the five days. I mean, it's like, you know, beggars can't be choosy. So what a you know today the Michelin star, how important are the ratings and the reviews? Michelin is very important to a certain group of people. It actually, it, it motivates them to go to that restaurant. But overall, Michelin is a tire company, you know, and it's like, so, and, and also the inspectors are anonymous. So I don't know how accurate it is to come one time to a restaurant. To what, what about Zagat's? Okay. It's, 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 Zagat's is gone. I saw, uh, I saw Tim and Nina at uh, Daniel Balut's 30th anniversary, which was a great, great party. Um, but Zagat, which was the all-powerful, is no longer. I mean, there's something called the infatu- infatuation. They don't even use Zagat anymore. So where do people, but people are social. They, people, you have a phone. People search. No, no, Mike, right now, this is the greatest moment for the consumer. Why? You can go on the phone. Even, like, if you don't like Yelp, you can see the food, you can see the prices. You know, before you used to have to go to the restaurant and look at the window. Most people blocked the window. The menu was never in the window in some restaurants. So you didn't know what you were getting involved with. Zagat was just two or three lines in a red book and, you know, some stupid numbers about ratings. Today, you can go on Yelp, you can go on you know, Eater, and there's a million places you can go uh, and, and see the food and say, wow, the food looks terrible. I'm not going there. <laughs> so where, what, are you, what are you planning to do now that your baby, the Montrachet, Batard, okay? Well, I'm still, I'm still very active. I, I, I go to work every day. I have a wine store on 57th Street. I, uh, I do the hamburgers at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> And I love what I do, so I'm I'm still I'm still quite active. Well, speaking of that, do you see more better restaurants opening up in in venues like Madison Square Garden? You oh, know, definitely. It, it shocks me when I go someplace, and I won't name the arena where the food is that terrible. Like because most of the um, uh, sports, you know, I, I have food also at, at MetLife with the Jets. Most of these people are motivated to do a better job. But when you go to a place and the food is, you know, they can't even make a good hamburger. I mean, a good hot dog. It's ridiculous. Okay. So I'd like to say I, it's great to have the king of the restaurant tour business, right. the, the legendary Drew Laporte, and thanks for being here today. Michael, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. With us today is Bruce Mosler, 
chairman of uh, Coachman and Wakefield, one smart guy, knows our city inside out. And uh, Bruce Mosler, good morning on Sunday morning. How are you today? And, and give us a report. How is our city? John, great to be back with you. Um, our city is, is doing just fine. Look, um, we had the jobs report come out today on a national basis. Um, it was more positive than most people expected. Generally speaking, uh, a comment on that, in my view, we should be careful um, because I think the big businesses are still cutting jobs. I think it applies more to small and mid-cap businesses. That's a good thing. On the other hand, what people aren't pointing out is unemployment is rising slightly, but it is still rising. And the Fed should be very careful, in my view, uh, about raising interest rates yet again. I, I truly think chasing and chasing interest rates is causing good businesses um, to go tilt for, for no reason. As to New York, New York is doing well, John. At the end of the day, the first quarter was a tough quarter. Demand was down by 40%. I've mentioned that before. But the pipeline is looking better for Q2 and Q3. But let's be clear. Business is on pause, looking to see which way interest rates go, looking to see how the economy fares. And, and I think New York is no different. I will say this. We need to be careful not to compare New York to other gateway cities that are suffering far more. New York just has, we just learned, has had more tech startups in the first quarter than Silicon Valley. Now, that's a pretty impressive statistic if, in fact, where that statistic came from is accurate. But the bottom line is this. Business in New York Q1 is on hold. Q2, I think, will be cautious. If we see interest rates pause, I think business is going to take uh, that in mind, and we'll begin to see decision-making take place again in Q3 and Q4 for growth. And, and uh, are, we, are we swapping people, people that are tired of New York and are leaving versus a younger techno technological crowd that's coming in? That, John, that's a really, really good question. And that data I don't have, but here's what I'll say. I think the tech sector in New York is growing faster than the financial service sector. Um, financial services still make up a significant uh, part of our occupancy, and they are doing reasonably well. Here's the thing people forget, and, and it's important to remind folks that New York still, from the talent pool perspective, from the educational support perspective, there is no other city like it. It's why you have to be here if you're going to scale your business um, to a certain size, past small business and mid-cap businesses. You've got to be in New York to tap the talent pool. They're still here. They're still going to school here. They're still enjoying what you can get out of New York City and the live, work, play vibrancy of everything that's at their fingertips. Again, the point, in, if, if you want to go to Miami and there are people that are developing outposts in Miami, that's terrific. But if you look at what's being developed there, total size of development right now, two new buildings are going up that are between three and four million. They will lease very well. That's the size of a building and a half in Hudson Yards in New York City. When you want scale, you need to be here. So, you know, we need to put perspective on this. Yes, and uh, New York has always made a comeback. You know, I like to have confidence in New York. New York has always made a comeback. And I feel, you know, we need a little bit of cooperation from uh, some of our politicians. And there's an election this uh, November 
51 city council seats are up out of 51. Do you think people... So John, you, you put your finger on the pulse. Two things that we need to be very, very cautious with. One, in a city legislature, we need an understanding that for us to maintain and, and, and looking forward, our position, we have got to have affordable housing. The only way we're going to get affordable housing at the end of the day, and I'm not just saying this as a real estate person. I'm saying this because from a logical perspective, we need affordable housing for those young graduates to be able to house themselves here in a reasonable fashion. That is a big issue coming our way, and we, we still, I think the mayor works hard to do this, but we need at the end of the day to be wary on the crime scene side. We have to have, at the end of the day, bail reform reformed. Because we've got to put violent offenders behind bars. And that's what I said to everybody. I don't care about the person that steals a loaf of bread. I don't really care. But professional shoplifters that, that steal thousands of dollars, professional shoplifters, professional violent criminals, maybe they should not live among the civilized society. Somebody has to think about that. John, we, we, the good news is that New York's crime compared to other major gateway cities um, is faring well from the standpoint of violent crime, from the standpoint of crime period, repeat offenders, violent offenders. We need to do better. I, I think our mayor and our governor know this, but we need action on this. It is, it is the way to stability. And again, I just want to put my, my you know, sort of point out there that affordable housing is essential for the future uh, of New York in, in keeping young, talented, bright people here um, for the next generation. Well, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Bruce Mosler. We pray for New York. We pray for New York's comeback. And God bless you and have a great weekend. Thank you, John. We'll be there. New York will be there. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy. And this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. Shopify made it really easy for me to shift everything over and hit the ground running. I was able to migrate my products and all of my customer information over. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Kathy Wild. She is in charge of the New York City Partnership, represents the 200 most important uh, companies in New York City. And uh, we want to get an update of what the heck is going on and, and what worries her and uh, what should be done. Uh, Kathy Wild, uh, thank you for coming on this uh, Sunday morning on the weekend. Uh, and uh, give us an update What's going on in New York? I, I'm also afraid of what's going on with our budget in in Albany because uh, last week, uh, uh, Kathy, I had uh, Tom DiNapoli on, and his tax revenues were down 40% in sales tax for the month of April. I'm trying to find out how May is. But tell us what you know. The tax revenue situation is a big question because of the um – our government, state and city, 
knows how to spend, but it's questionable how we're going to deal with the drop in revenues that's inevitable. And it's not just sales tax, it's real estate tax, and it's income taxes. Uh, the, um, the impact of the loss of the state and local tax deduction has really hurt New York in terms of keeping the highest taxpayers here. So those are all big issues. In general, the city economy is doing well. The private sector economy is growing at a rate of between 2 and 4% a year, depending on who you talk to. So we don't have an economic problem. Our business community is strong. We're still the world leaders in so many industries, in finance and in design and in real estate and in technology. So we, we actually, for the first time, had more tech startups in New York City than in San Francisco this year. So in lots of ways, we're doing very well. But unfortunately, if we send the wrong message to business, that could change, on a, that could change very quickly. You know, I'm really, really concerned, but it looks like we're swapping out uh, our old-time business people. Uh, for a new uh, segment of uh, of business, uh, maybe the technology business, um, does it look like that to you? We're only at about 60% office occupancy right now in terms of how many people are in on the average workday. And that's mostly Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's going in the right direction. Most employers tell me that after Labor Day this year, they're going to be much more demanding in terms of getting people back in the office. And they're also offering a lot of activities and benefits to encourage people to come back to the office because they know that what you lose with this remote work is you lose teamwork and you lose professional development of young people. So we think things are going in the right direction. Not fast enough for some, but I, I'm confident we are going to be remaining a vibrant office culture economy. Uh, I certainly pray uh, so. I love New York. You love New York. We, and uh, uh, the two critical things that I think in New York is we have to make people feel safe uh, in our subways, yes. in, our, uh, in our streets. And uh, all I've said to the, to the governor is, and, and I love the governor, she's a great lady, but I said to her, uh, people have to feel confident they can walk around safely. And that's, uh, that, I think that's a key thing. Absolutely. And it's not just safe from crime, but it's feeling, it's this whole, you know, it's the quality of life issues. Does it seem like the city has run amok? Somebody uh, the other day said what bothers them most are that they are the motorized bikes and scooters that come tearing the wrong way down the street or even on the sidewalk. Oh, they don't and care. Our, the, the, the biggest danger is getting out of a taxi or an Uber and trying to get to the sidewalk. They don't care. They'll, they'll kill you both ways. Exactly. And we haven't taken actions to force these vehicles to be licensed and to really enforce um, the proper behavior. So these are all issues that make people feel personally insecure, personally unsafe, and what's wrong with our city. These are all absolutely fixable, and the mayor and governor are on the right track. We 
the public have to support them. We have to convince the legislators that they've got to take some actions on these issues and Kathy, support the position that the November yeah. November this year of 2023, 51 city council seats are up. We got to, we have to tell them they got to keep New Yorkers safe. Absolutely. City council, state legislators next year. We've got to get people out to vote. There's an election coming up in June. We've got we've got to show up and make it clear that we love our city, we care about our city, and we're not going to let it be destroyed by people who don't have the same commitment to the city. Kathy Wild, thank you for everything you do for our city and continue to speak out for our city, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York. What is today? This Sunday morning is Congressman Peter King. And uh, he's one heck of a common sense guy. And what happened uh, this week uh, between the Congress and and uh, the Senate and, and the White House? Finally, we have a little bit of common sense. Uh, Congressman, tell us, you're, you've always been the guy in the middle making deals. How do you feel about what happened this week? Well, John, I could probably go on for hours telling you all the things all the things that were wrong with that compromise bill. Having said that, I would strongly support it. We live in a very imperfect world, and you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think it was a great tribute to Kevin McCarthy and also to some extent to President Biden that they were able to come together with a compromise bill. Let's face it, we have a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a House uh, majority of Republicans, but the majority is only four votes, five votes. So this was uh, really tough negotiating by Kevin McCarthy to get Joe Biden to the table. And uh, to me, there are a lot of real positive steps that were taken. The overall bill is certainly not one that a Republican president or Republican Congress would have enacted, but the you know, elections have consequences. The Democrats uh, were holding most of the cards, and I thought Kevin McCarthy played the cards he had very well. Uh, he is cutting back on the uh, spending levels. He is uh, basically you know, requiring that uh, able-bodied people who are uh, receiving federal assistance uh, take jobs, uh, work. That's what Bill Clinton was pushing 30 years ago. Today, Democrats somehow think that's a form of slavery. So, no, I think what this showed was uh, both Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden, and I give McCarthy more of the credit because he was the guy who really had a push, they resisted the basis of their party. I mean, you have so many Republicans who uh, are denouncing this agreement, saying it's a sellout. They would have gotten more. They would have done this. And now anybody could have gotten more. I mean, Kevin McCarthy had very few, as I said before, cards to play, but he played them well. And this is what the American people, I, I hope, what the majority of the American people want, like it was with Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill. Whatever the final bill is, there's enough in there that everybody can criticize. But it's overall, it's, the, it's best for the country. And that's what happened here. And uh, uh, to me, uh, you had uh, some you know, really hardline Republicans who say Kevin McCarthy should be removed as speaker because he agreed to this bill. You have other progressive Democrats attacking Joe Biden. And to me, that's what's wrong about the country is that people, too many people on the extremes of both sides 
don't see the importance of reaching compromise. I'm listening, if there's something in there that you're totally morally opposed to, that's a uh, you know, dead on arrival, that's one thing. But no, this bill was basically trying to accommodate as many of the factions in the country as possible while improving the economy and moving the country forward. So uh, this hopefully this is a sign of a new uh, period in, in America where political people are able to work together to uh, shake hands, get the deal done, and then fight tomorrow on something else. That's what democracy should be, a clash of ideas, and then you work out the best compromise you can. That that is the definition of compromise. It's not the 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 extreme left hates the deal, the right hates the deal, but the people in the middle got together and uh, uh, put it together, which uh, I, I I think it's the right thing to do too. I mean, uh, and my advice to, to to friends and people are, let's move on. We got it done. Let's move on. There's a lot of good things about the bill. Uh, it, it, it freezes spending. Uh, and in reality, you know what they're, what they're not saying? If it freezes spending, uh, 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 Congressman, uh, and inflation is up 10%, does that mean uh, that it's actually saving us 10%? Well, it's actually a cut in spending, right? If spending stays the same and inflation goes up, then it's actually a cut in spending. If you look at it, uh, you know, logically, it's so easy to take cheap shots at something like this. If you have a bill which covers so many aspects of our economy, you can always find things that you're going to disagree with. And there's also going to be honest differences. And that's in a democracy. The idea is to try to work them out as best you can. I wish we saw more of that in New York State. But uh, and, and that's where I think there's a difference. Joe Biden, I give him credit for this. He was able to you know, keep enough Democrats in line. It doesn't appear as if Kathy Hochul was able to keep her Democrats in line in the state legislature. So and uh, Eric Adams, I give him credit here in New York. So I think he is trying to hold a line against people in his own party. And Kevin McCarthy is holding the line against people in his party. So it's, uh, uh, it, it, you know. People always say, you know, politicians, they never get it done. Politicians do this. Politicians do that. Well, the fact is, Kevin McCarthy did what he was supposed to do. So people should stand with him, not say they're going to remove him from office. Joe Biden, I have serious differences with Joe Biden. But the fact is, he realized we couldn't allow the country to go into default. It would have caused economic chaos, uh, not just the United States, but throughout the world. And if the world was in chaos, the United States is going to be in chaos. So, no, this, both of them did what they had to do. And for people who say politicians don't do the right thing, well, they did the right thing here. Now it's important for the people to step up and support them. Let me ask you a, a silly question that nobody has asked, and I hate to ask it, uh, is that uh, uh, our, the Speaker gave the right to anybody in the Republican Party to vote against him uh, if they didn't like how he's handling the job. Now, there's a few, a lot of angry uh, uh, GOPers. Do you think that that they'll invoke that uh, that issue? Well, that's the threat that uh, Kevin McCarthy faces here. Under the rules that they adopted, and he had to basically go along with this to be elected speaker. One of the concessions he made was that any member of the Republican Party can, actually, any member of Congress at any time can make a motion. It's called to vacate the chair, which means have a new vote on who the speaker is. And Kevin McCarthy right now, I guess, is 222 Republicans, so he only has four votes to spare. And uh, I think it was 71 uh, Republicans voted against this bill. 
So, uh, you know, there's there's a chance if somebody brings that uh, resolution up, and several have, you know, uh, Congressman Buck, Congressman Bishop uh, from uh, North Carolina, he has said that uh, he may, you know, bring this up uh, next week or the week after. That would be disastrous. We, you know, we don't want to be like, uh, you know, the French government was after World War II or the Italian government, which is at 64 or 65 different governments. We need stability, and we can't have that every vote. Uh, you're holding a uh, gun to the speaker's head that if he doesn't uh, uh, go your way, you're going to remove him because, listen, we have six, you know, six Republicans from New York. They could at any time, if they want to, you know, uh, remove the speaker. I mean, you, you can't have that. You have to have a certain stability. You have to have actually solid stability. And you elect a leader and you give him or her the options and uh, give them, you know, room to maneuver, room to get things done. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi, she also had like a four or five vote uh, majority. Uh, she was able to hold her people in line. And uh, I hope Kevin McCarthy can also. And listen, I'm not necessarily the biggest Kevin McCarthy supporter. I always got along with him. I think he's doing a good job. But the thing is, he is the speaker. And if you elect someone to that position, you can't be undermining him. I mean, it is, uh, it, even if Kevin McCarthy were my best friend, and I agree with him almost completely, there's going to be at least 10% of the time I'm going to disagree with him. Am I going to try to remove him from office? And they can't do that because, again, all he has to do is lose five or six votes on uh, 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 one of these motions, and he can be removed from office. And then, then what do we do? Then we have total chaos. And the speaker is second in line to the president. You have the president, the vice president, and the speaker. You know, what kind of a signal is that sending to the, you know, the rest of the world? You know, we, uh, we end up looking like a banana republic if we do that. Well, thank you, uh, Congressman King. Thank you for uh, – and I agree with you 110 percent. I hope we don't have to go to that, uh, that in that direction. And have a great weekend, and um, we'll catch up again uh, real soon. Hopefully I'll yeah. see you Monday. I'll see you tomorrow in the studio Monday. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you, John. With us today is the star reporter from the New York Post on Albany News. Nothing happens in Albany without Zach Williams knowing about it. Zach, Sunday morning, give us an update. What the heck is going on? Well, John, thanks again for having me. There's just one week left until state lawmakers adjourn for the year on June 8th. And the big item on the agenda is this so-called clean slate legislation. This would allow people to seal their records after they've uh, served their prison terms, parole, probation, and three years for misdemeanors and seven years for felonies have gone by. And it would cover all criminal offenses up to murder with one big caveat, sex offenders would not qualify for this. So, you know, big business has gone behind this idea. Progressives obviously are all for it. Labor unions. Zach, Zach you, you mean that if you were in jail for sex offense because you touched somebody, uh, that's a higher crime than murdering somebody? Well, there's a long list of sex offenses that are specifically exempted, and I'd have to go and check about forcible touching. But certainly, uh, you know, it's a very broad. Uh, piece of legislation, and other than those sex crimes, you are correct. You know, murder, uh, people convicted of murder who serve their time, probation, et cetera, would be able to apply to have their records sealed. And the way that people have. So, so it, what I'm saying is we could not check into them. So, if uh, uh, one of our companies, Gristides or D'Agostino, uh, wants to hire somebody and we do a background check 
and the guy's a murderer, I'm going to put him in my stores. That very well could happen. There are exceptions. Oh, my you know, God. Law enforcement, the courts, district attorneys, and certain professions would be able to access records. So, like, say, if you were applying to be a teacher or a cop, they're going to be able to see that you were convicted of murder in the past. Now, at a grocery store, uh, no. Uh, unless it were some, like, say you had a delivery driver for driving-related jobs, say, you know, uh, the DMV would be able to say, uh, note that you were convicted of vehicular homicide in the past. But that said, you know, for your everyday jobs that don't have, like, kind of a, you know, a special uh, reason, if you will, or at least not one recognized by Albany Democrats, like grocery stores, yes. You, would, uh, you wouldn't uh, be able to access those records. The other big question is, you know, I had the Tom DiNapoli question, which I'm going to try to reach him. Uh, the other big question is, is the exodus continuing? Well, that, you know, there is that long-term decline in the population, particularly in upstate. Although you will note that, you know, Manhattan's population grew over the last year. Why? Well, to in large part because of the migrants coming into this from the southern border. They don't pay any taxes. Well, they will not pay any taxes till they get those work permits. And, you know, about 40,000 of them are still dependent on New York City for their housing, their lodging, and obviously with Mayor Adams' uh, efforts to kind of move them to different areas of the state. You know, just a lot of local Fights, you know, between the city and other counties have uh, erupted. And the governor, for her part, Governor Kathy Hochul, has kind of just sat back on this, you know, waiting for the courts to intervene. And some might say, you know, the governor's got to step up a bit more because, you know, right now we just got local governments fighting all over the place with, you know, what to do with the migrants. Zach, City City University of New York, uh, what's called CUNY, a lot of anti-Semitism going on. Uh, Governor uh, uh, Hochul has not said anything yet. Have you heard anything? So (laughs) part for the course for the governor uh, is usually not immediately responding to issues like this. Uh, At one point, spokesperson said she was against anti-Semitism. Okay, what about CUNY? The following day, our reporter caught up with her at an event, I believe it was Wednesday, where she said, uh, you know, basically called it hate speech. You know, after a bunch of people had done the same, she got called out by her former gubernatorial race rival, uh, Lee Zeldin. And, you know, if you go and watch the speech, I watched all 13 minutes of it. It's not a bad speech, you know, liberal, lefty, you bet. But there are just certain parts where you just, you know, you just kind of wince where, you know, um, there was there was some truth to what uh, the speaker said. But, you know, when you're talking about fighting Zionism internationally, fascist NYPD and the U.S. military run amok murdering people, you know, you've got to expect you're going to uh, upset people, especially that Zionism mark, because, you know, anti-Semitism is not always explicit. Um, often it comes down to how Jewish people themselves perceive it. And, you know, there were just some things in that speech where you knew people were going to be up in arms. And this is the second year in a row this has happened at CUNY. And, you know, now people are calling for changes, either on the board, fire the dean, pull funding. You know, we'll see where everything lands, but not a good look for for CUNY Law School where this commencement happened, um, especially after all the hubbub from last year. Well, 
Thank you, Zach Williams. Thank you so much for bringing all uh, New Yorkers up to date. And we pray for our city. We pray for our state. And thank you so much. Thanks so much, John. Anytime. Thank you. Looking for a little common sense? You found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is uh, former Governor David Patterson. So tell us what the heck is going on for the week and what he's he likes and what he dislikes. Uh, Governor Patterson, give us an update for the week. Well, John, uh, I think the theme of the week is that the Republican presidential candidates are coming into the race, like Governor Christie and Ron DeSantis and President Trump had a town meeting the other night, and he was saying that these are the most serious times uh, in our country. And I think everybody would agree with that. But my problem is I don't think too many people are being serious about a problem that really is. So let's take the migrant issue right now. You've got migrants. Uh, at one point, uh, Governor Abbott sent a busload of migrants to New York City, and all his colleagues cheered for him particularly the Republican county executives around New York uh, State. Then when the migrants started getting uh, shipped to their areas, they objected to it and, and tried to go to court to try to stop it. And we just cannot have a society that's that hypocritical. Now, one of the, uh, another group that I think is quite hypocritical is where are the Democratic socialists? They always think that everything should be divided evenly, all the salaries should be exactly the same, but they don't seem to think that the migrants should be in all parts of the state because none of them has stood up for what would really be a reasonable solution that we take the number of migrants, divide them equally, and try to put them in areas around the state so that it, uh, it divides the difficulty of actually doing it. They haven't said a word. Why? Because they know that their constituents aren't interested in having the migrants there any more than anyone else's. So I think it's a potpourri of hypocrite, uh, of hypocrisy that's going on right now at a time when we really need to get serious. There are a lot of companies, you wouldn't believe this, John, that have operated around the world setting up these camps for migrants. For instance, right now in the, in the country of Iraq, the summers are so hot that People can't really live there, and they're migrating out of the country into other places. And there are companies that are actually are hired to actually place them, which is kind of fascinating. We can do that here as well. There are a number of companies that have done this before. But the problem, as I see it, is these uh, camps that you can set up or putting them in hotels can only be temporary. It's going to take a year and a half before there's a determination of whether or not they can get asylum. And by then, they're either going to be so entrenched that you can't find them anymore, or you're going to have a situation where now you're turning a number of people away after they were here for a period of time. So you're basically sending them back to countries where they have absolutely no contact where they did uh, right before they came here. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation. I think there are ways to handle it, but I think we're going to have to work together and stop pointing the finger at each other. Governor Patterson, we know each other for a long time. I just, I scratch my head. I don't know why this is happening. Well, that makes two of us, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for our country. You know, uh, a country is only a country if it has borders. 
and nobody's breaking in to get into Cuba. Nobody's breaking in to get into Venezuela. Nobody's breaking in to get into Russia or China. But that they admire the American way of life, and they want to come here and change our way of life. And I'm concerned for us, our citizens, and our people. Well, a lot of them truly want to come here and be part of our society and be contributors, and they want to work and they want to be, a, a, you know, a part of it. But it's not possible to just walk in and be able to do that. Uh, there's been no discussion about work authorizations being expedited so that the people can work. And so, what federal government has basically said to all the states is, uh, they're coming in and you deal with it. But you know, it's stupid. Uh, I mean, I believe, and we, I think both of us believe in immigration, but we have to have some checks and balances. We exactly. want to make sure we don't get other people's jail, bait, uh, j- jail people. We want to make sure we don't get any terrorists. We want to make sure we don't get any, any uh, people that hate America and they're just coming here to change our lifestyle. Well, with the number of people who are coming in increasing almost logarithmatically, it would be impossible that some of them would not be terrorists or criminals or just people, if they had gone through a process, would not have had the right to come here. And the worst thing about it is that uh, th- that no one really knows where the leadership is to try to science, uh, solve the problems of these t- solutions. And even in the geopolitical world, John, there is karma. So I think continuing to let people come in it's an injustice to them as much as it is to the people that live in this country. There's going to be a point where it starts to become antagonistic and perhaps even violent. It could be that bad. Governor Patterson, thank you for coming on. Uh, and let's pray for New York. Let's pray for America. And uh, God bless you and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Well, uh, thank you, John. Uh, you, you did a real nice segment with Rabbi Potasnik about the meaning of prayer and the belief in God. And there was no better time to have done it than you did, I believe, it was last Thursday. Thank you so much. Take care. With us today is Harley Lipman, a good friend of mine for many, many years. And I understand he just came back from Poland uh, looking for some mass graves that may exist. And also, he is the Grand Marshal of the Israeli Day Parade to take place today, Sunday, June 4th. Uh, Harley, welcome back from Poland. Well, thank you very much. It was quite exciting. You know, I'm focusing on an overlooked aspect of the Holocaust. And that is, when everybody thinks of the Holocaust, they tend to think of Auschwitz and the extermination camps. But they were only operational in March of 1942. Why is that important? Because the Germans were in Poland for two and a half years before that. So the question is, what were they doing in Poland? And what they were doing was they went around village to village and just shot Jews and left them there. My mission, find those mass graves give these people some honor and dignity in their death, have a formal burial. I have a Protestant minister, Catholic priest, and the chief rabbi of Poland and school children. And I erect a memorial, and I've done nearly 50 of those over the last 15 years. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, and tell us about the Israeli parade uh, on uh, the today Sunday. Yeah, so this is the 75th anniversary 
of Israel's existence. And it's a great celebration, and it's all about taking pride in this nation that came back from history. And Jews and non-Jews, I know you, John, you're, you're someone who really is a supporter of Israel, and our community is very grateful for that. And it's a time to show a great deal of appreciation that we have a Jewish nation. There are challenges and problems there, like we have everywhere. But this is a time for unity of the Jewish people to express our gratitude, pride, and appreciation that we have a strong Jewish nation, great economy, great humanitarian country. It sent more people to Turkey than any other nation except one when they had their earthquake. So they really do care about human rights. And they're, they're just a, a powerhouse. So we're, we're just delighted that we could make this celebration. And you're correct. On, on Thursday night in New York, on the Intrepid, I was the honoree with the Auschwitz uh, Foundation, uh, which is raising money uh, uh, to, to, to help bring honor to the Jewish people. And Simon Berkson uh, runs that. And also I was with Brian Moynihan, the CEO of, uh, of uh, Bank America, and uh, the Patriots owner, uh, Robert Kraft, and they started yeah. an organization about anti-Semitism, and I know Bank America donated $10 million towards this organization. No, that is amazing. I mean, you, John, and those others, we love people like you because Jewish people feel we don't have that many friends these days. So we are particularly grateful when people like you put your neck out and are willing to stand with your friends that support Israel. It means the world to us. Now, the, the one point they brought out at the, at the Bank America uh, meeting that we had is that the Jewish population is 2.5% of, of our country, but represent, they get 55% of the abuse uh, in hatred, uh, in hatred crimes. I mean, that is a big number. Why such a big number? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think the guilt after the Holocaust has largely subsided. And all the forces that created anti-Semitism for thousands of years are rearing its ugly head again. And it comes down to a couple of factors. But one is jealousy, you know, and, and the notion that Jews do things in collaboration with each other to the exclusion of others. You know, there's this notion that if somebody's Jewish, that they can reach out to another Jewish person and they'll do business with them because they're Jewish. It happens to be ridiculous. I, I own a company, a technology company. I do more business with non-Jews than I do with Jews. I'm more successful with Christians than I am with Jews. So well, anyway. I wrote I wrote a book. I wrote a book in the last. It's been the number one bestseller on the Wall Street Journal, uh, and uh, uh, growing up or in business. Uh, I had 12 mentors. Most of those mentors were Jewish. There you go. There you go. So, and, you, and you're of Greek background. Yes. So, you know, and but I'm 6% Jewish. You know what that 6% right. means on, on 23andMe? It means either my great-grandmother or great-grandfather was Jewish. There you go. I, I didn't know that, but that's impressive. There you go. You have Jewish blood in you. Yes, that's, that's fascinating. I love it. <laughs> well, Harley, I'm going to be there uh, on Fifth Avenue waving at you as you go by and and uh, have a great parade. And thank you for all the things you do for John, all John, Americans. Mar 
march with me. I'm going to make you a special dignitary. I have I could acknowledge one person. There's one grand marshal and one famous dignitary, and I'm going to make this live. You're the only person that I'm asking. You don't have to march the whole way, but march with me on 57th Street to 74th in the front of the parade. Do it. I will do it. Thank you so much, uh, Harley, and I'll see you on Fifth Avenue.